0: Hello, everyone. This is another episode from 2023 CTV. And today I talk to Carlos De Jesus. He's the director of marketing and communications of Amorim Cork worldwide. Today, we discuss the interplay of cork and wine industry and why cork is a very important enological tool that is sometimes a little overlooked. Yeah, we had some major shifts since the last episodes. Um, this podcast got some very exciting new sponsors. So uh, let's talk a little bit about them. Uh, this podcast is made possible by Wine Plus. It's the biggest European community for wine professionals and also for private wine nerds. Uh, it's made possible also by Amorim Kork. They are the world's biggest supplier of cork. And by Aero. Aero is a German company that uh, produces full harvest machines and Aero recently merged with Ferrand. So thanks to all of them. Uh, thanks for supporting me with uh, finances and also thanks to supporting me with Reach. And now please enjoy the episode. Okay. Interview Carlos de Jesus Amorim. Uh, Carlos, I want to record your voice to produce a podcast. The podcast will go online on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and uh, at the website of my partner, Wine Plus. Um, your name and your voice are personal <coughs> private data. That means you as a person can be identified by this. And this is why I need to hear that you understand what I want to do and give me your permission. Yes, I do. Thanks. <laughs> So before we go into the details of cork production, uh, Carlos, I would ask you to um, go a little bit into your personal history. How do you end up as the head of communication of Amorim? Well, uh,
1: yeah, that's a bit of a long story already, because um, this year it's um, 20 years since I joined joined the company. I, um, frankly, I wanted to get out of New York (laughs) in uh, 2002, 2003, so um, you know, start looking at where else, where else in the world I could um, go to after eleven years outside of Portugal. It sounded like um, it could be a good option, and and the fact is that Amorim and Cork in general at the time um, was quite different challenge than it is today because a lot of people didn't think Cork had a future. I didn't agree with that, and I thought it would be a good opportunity to um, to make sure that I was part of a team that was working to give back a future to um, what is undoubtedly one of the great um, sustainability stories with its economic, with its social and its environmental implications, there is uh, there is out there. The fact that it was uh, an intrinsical part of what a good bottle of wine has always been and will continue to be was certainly an added bonus.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the topic of sealing, what those guys are working for, uh, I think is, is a crucial part of our industry. Um, did you always work in, in marketing, or did you have another background before that?
1: No, I, I studied political science. So I was going to be a diplomat.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's a, that's a different uh, a different story. A lot of my friends did follow the diplomatic career, and and I think um, you know I did get to live also in three continents. But I I always felt I had a little bit more control over my life than than they did. So, uh, that's what I kept telling myself anyway. Um, But but now, I mean, I I was working back in New York. I was doing um, financial communications. Um, Before that, I was working for um, a publishing house. So, I guess somehow there was always um, that that angle about communications that... Mm. um, that was good but i was hired as investor relations person for uh, for AMRIV, which is a publicly listed company i was not hired as the, the communications uh, so you head you for, spent
0: <laughs> 20 years in the public relations department pretty much uh, about a little bit over that actually yeah and uh, you became head of it uh, from the beginning or did yes, you build yes
1: yeah, uh, i was i was hired as investor relations um, responsible. Um, but after a short period of time, the threat for, for the future of Cork was, was, was big. So there was no point in trying to, uh, to sell the, uh, an idea of investing in Amarin if Cork didn't have a future because Amarin was already back then the largest Cork company in the world. So um, it made a lot more sense to, to give back that future to Cork and then worry
0: about it. But um, yeah, I never got back to investor relations. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, uh, it's always the thing. Uh, once the wine industry grabs you, it has hold of you and you'll never get out of it. But uh, I think it's also one of the best uh, industries to be in. Like the kind of people you meet and the places you can go to. I mean, everywhere where people grow wine, it's just awesome.
1: <laughs> it, it is. And, and you have to have a level of passion. Yeah. Um, that makes working in this industry uh, very, very rewarding, no doubt about and that. And two percent madness. <laughs> uh, maybe some of those guys I would say have a little <laughs> more than two percent, because the way some of these vineyards have to be tended. Some of the there is an expression for heroic viticulture, and I think there's a. And I don't think you can be a, much of a hero if you don't have a little bit of madness in your in nope. your head sometimes. So uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I think that mix is very very interesting. The product itself is wonderful. I mean, it's a product that comes from the land. Cork comes from the land, um, and, and I think we have collectively um, an obligation also to to demonstrate that it is possible to work the land while not destroying it and while making uh, a future for, um, for for all of us. Mm. I think that's a very, very important thing.
0: Mm. When I started um, the cooperation with uh, the German division of Amarin, um, my first talks about cork production were extremely eye-opening to me. I, I, I did not think much about cork before, and uh, once I learned about how old these trees have to get before they can be harvested, I was like, oh, this is long tradition. The cork is actually much more intense than the wine-growing part itself. Uh, I, I, if I remember correctly, it's almost 50 years until you have the first commercial almost, cork. Almost, yes,
1: harvest. almost. So you cannot touch a cork oak until the cork oak is roughly 25 years. It's actually yeah. not a timeline specifically. It's a ratio between the height and the circumference of the tree. So all of this is very regulated. Um, it's illegal to cut down a cork oak. Um, you you have rules and regulations about when to harvest, how to harvest. It. It's quite quite a complex thing, but you cannot touch a tree again until the tree is about 25 years old. Mm. And that first harvest does not give you core quality to do much with it. You can do some insulation, insulation stuff, not wine. That's about, right? uh, yeah. that's about that. So by law, you cannot go back to that tree until at least nine years, minimum nine years have gone by second uh, harvest still does 34 years old now the tree off the bat so that second harvest still does not allow you a cork good enough with the quality that it's required to make um you know the natural whole cork stoppers that go to the wines that we all wish to drink more often than we do obviously so it if you think of of that as as an asset it's maturity yield its maturity curve it's 25 plus 9 plus 9 because only the third harvest is going to give you top quality cork. So it's a 43-year-old wait for that tree to, to reach its maturity in terms of the quality of the cork that it can give. So if you think of that from a business point of view, I mean, if I arrive, you know, at anyone around here at this fair and said, Hey, I have a great idea for you. This any investor. You're going to make a, a hole on the ground, you know, and then we're going to cover yeah. it and you're going to wait 43 years. Well, it's going to be a short meeting because people will think, I mean, you must be, you must be mad. Um, the fact is today we are benefiting and the world is benefiting from. Um, yeah. decisions that were made kind of mad decisions like that that were made eighteen, ninety, 100 150 years ago yeah. um, that still benefit the world today so if you want to think about what sustainability is um, that long-term vision is certainly a big yeah.
0: part of it that's uh, one of the things that um Actually, when I think about a company like Amarim, that is so interesting to me because I mean it's quite a huge company. Actually, it's it's really really big. If you look at all the different departments you have apart from winemaking, it's a big company. But when you work with a product that takes such long view, such long perspective, it's different than other comparable sized companies who who think in short term, who, who can think in shareholder value more. This is not not possible so much. If you talk about the oak tree, well, like, it, it has to
1: be possible because, you know, we re- remember we, we are a publicly listed company. So know, while I the don't. Amarin family, you know, holds the majority of the stock, we still have, you know, investors, funds, and, and individuals, it doesn't matter, um, outside shareholders that put their money into it. So we have an obligation to those, to those shareholders but to the, deliver the, value. The
0: scaling possibility of an
1: oak tree is different than right. of a software. Uh, Diego, I like to think we have the best of both worlds. In in the sense that, yes, we have to have that 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 um, we have to be strict about how we report. We have to be strict about how we communicate and what we communicate. We can't just go out and and make wild promises because, you know, if after a few quarters you don't deliver, then someone is going to start asking difficult questions internally and and externally. So, you have the oversight of the financial services and and the stock exchange and all of that. So, that gives you discipline, which is very, very important again. But at the same time, because we have a family uh, ethos, we still have a family structure in terms of the shareholder, the majority shareholder, you can also look at things from a long-term perspective. Yes. So, you're not subjected to that quarterly dictatorship of the results that have to come out and that's all companies think about. We don't do that. We have and we understand the, the the responsibility of delivering value to the shareholders. That that's absolutely fundamental. But at the same time, we are, we also have the ability to make those long term decisions. So it's really the best of both worlds: a structure, the ethos of that family company, with the discipline of a public listed company. Mm-hmm.
0: When I have uh, someone uh, as well-spoken as you in front of the microphone, I would like to take a chance. <laughs> yeah, it really. It's uh, been a good you, coffee you, here at CTV. You know, yeah. you know you're getting well. Um, but uh, let's take, let's take uh, the chance and um, mm. provide a, an insider perspective into your um Workday. How? What does it look like to uh, represent such a big company? Because the people listening, they are mostly winemakers from origin. Some return to winemaking after a career in another industry, but most of the people listening, they come from <clears throat> very different company structures, extremely different. So, uh, what does your day look like, and uh, do you travel often? Uh, let's let's find For out a bit of more. Of about.
1: course. I mean, we we export to over one hundred companies. I mean, fortunately, I don't. I don't have to visit all of them. <laughs> um, but at at the end of the day, I think what you feel the most, what you wake up to every morning, it has to be with the responsibility of what you of what you you, you represent. The company is a hundred and fifty-three year old company. Um, it's the largest in the industry. It's the only Cork is the only thing that Portugal is a world leader and, and Amrin is the world leader in, in Cork. So there's there's a lot uh, flying on these uh on these wings of this story, so you have to to understand that responsibility. But at the same time, you also have to, I think, uh, really love the product that your clients make. And in this case, oftentimes it's very easy to love the product that our clients make. Yep. So that certainly makes makes a big a big difference. But um, it's it's an amazing job. I mean, I, it, it's really privileged at the end of the day because you get you get paid to tell a story that is is a great story. It's one of the great sustainability stories in the world today, anywhere in the world, with or without wine. Still an amazing story. Wine makes a fundamental contribution from a value point of view to keep these 2.2 million hectares of cork oak forests around the Western Mediterranean viable Mm. because, Diego, great deal of the problems that we have in the world when you talk about sustainability in in all its components, the social, the environmental, and the economic, when we talk about sustainability, we seldom have native species that manage to remain competitive against non-native species. So the cork oak forests are estimated to be on this planet for 40 to 45 million years. So talking about responsibility towards something that has been in this planet for a long time, it's a great, a great evolutionary story, a great sustainability story. But at the end of the day, I, I think wine makes all of this viable because as much as Cork is using many other applications, some of them incredibly sophisticated, like aerospace applications, at the end of the day, it started with wine and, and I think it will remain very, very much associated with wine for a long, long time. Every year, 13 billion times, consumers around the world open a bottle that have a cork in it. Mm. Um, that's remarkable if you think that you know, cork, glass, and wine, this almost trinity, um, dates back to the 17th century, to the 1600s. And the fact that all these years later, it's still by far the leading seven out of every 10 bottles of wine open around the world are open with a cork in it.
0: You know what I like a lot about how you frame it? It it makes the whole thing sound a little bit like humanity had to invent wine. To produce cork, <laughs> so, <laughs> so so so, so uh, actually the cork industry um, can can um, say thank you to the wine industry for being oh, able to survive. absolutely. We have absolutely. to
1: say thank you to the cork yes, to yes. the cork industry, but we also have to understand that we are, an one element, an important element, but a one element in many others that have to come together for wine to be uh, what it is, for wine to be all it can be. There are many, many other things. And chiefly among them, I mean, the, the work that winemakers around the world pour into it, mm. I mean, it's it's very difficult nowadays it, on on all levels. It's, it's not just, you know, if you are planting vineyards and you have to harvest those vineyards in extreme inclinations and extreme weathers around uh, around the world. So then you have to make it right. Then you have to sell it right. Then it's an incredibly complicated job. Mm. So it's... I think we have to be proud of being part of that. Uh,
0: but we are one part amongst many. When you think back to uh, the beginning of your career in basically the, the wine ecosystem, uh, what was your perspective on wine wine growing and uh, wine selling then? And how has it changed?
1: I, I grew up in, in Portugal. So, you know, we, we have an affinity with wine. We also
0: have an affinity with cork, of course.
1: So it was not entirely uh, a strange concept or a strange element, Um, but I had uh, no idea what I was getting myself into it. I mean, the level of complexity, what it takes today to understand wine and to understand cork touches so many scientific disciplines that you, you, you have to know a little bit of a lot of things, at least a little bit of a lot of things. And in the case of cork, I mean, today to produce a good cork stoppers, uh, at a company like Cameron, like you have to be, uh, well, not, not me personally, but you have to have knowledge that is incredibly complex and ranges from supercritical fluid mechanics to, uh, to thermal desorption concepts to uh, gas chromatography with electron capture and detection. While at the same time, understanding what you know growing a tree or letting a tree grow to achieve its its maturity in, in entails what sustainability means so it's really multi multidisciplinary today and that's part of what makes it so so interesting because it's not at all simple um, it's both complex and complicated it can be both but at the end of the day it's it's a fascinating product i mean if you think that you can nature packs on average 800 million cells into one single cork stopper. And each one of those cells has a little bit of oxygen in it. Each one of those 800 million cells pack uh, a, a, an elastic memory that lasts for decades and decades and decades. I mean, that's quite remarkable. And nature gives us. Our job today is to wrap technology against that wonderful natural product called Coric. And we're doing it. It's very, very sophisticated technology. But at the end of the day, uh, I, I'm still in awe at what nature can sometimes can deliver to us.
0: When we talk about cork, we have to talk about the topic of uh, the cork taste that the industry is so fearful of. Mm, I think um, many wine producers that I still talk to who went away from cork to screw caps or anything else, um, they kind of developed their mindset. In a different time with different uh, production capabilities for cork uh, and different detection systems for TCA and stuff and maybe you can uh, go a little bit into the um, the technology changes uh, the cork industry made uh, during your work period because uh, this is something that needs time to explain i think a little bit and also to uh, to see where the future is heading and why cork might still be important uh, during the next century
1: right well, I mean, TCA, what you call the, that cork taste, which could actually be carried by cork or many other materials, wood, plastic. I mean, tap water has TCA; it's innocuous, but it's omnipresent. Fruit can have TCA. It's really, really everywhere. Cork has an uh, an affinity to, with it. Yeah. Um, but we have defeated that 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 problem. We have gained that war. We have won We have won that war against against TCA in it was difficult but it was it was achieved it cost a lot of money but it was done um, to the point where I think one of the single biggest challenges that we have today is to make sure that that winemakers make closure purchasing decisions based on what we know today for a fact and not on what we thought was going to be the case 15 10 15 or 20 years ago Every time that we manage to have those closure purchasing decisions based on what we know today for a fact, the vast majority of the times that decision favors cork, and I and I think that is that is a testament um, to where where we are today. Amarin has doubled its size in a little bit over ten or twelve years, so the growth is there. Um, today we're selling more cork than we ever did in the world. Um, And the question is how did we go from being um buried because the people are making funerals for cork you know as a joke but it's not a funny joke you don't like to be buried when you still feel pretty much alive you know so how do we go from that to where we are today where cork exports from portugal grow faster than the consumption of wine around the world and this has been the case since 2010 basically how how do we do well we f- to understand that we have to understand what the market was asking us to do and the market was basically t- saying this okay we want you to continue to produce in the billions okay Am- amarin uh, and all the other companies had to deliver billions and billions of units and it's difficult to b- to deliver billions of units of anything and cork is no exception of course so the market was saying okay We want you to continue to do this. But at the same time that you continue to produce units in the billions every year, we want you to start doing quality control in those billions of units at a level that it's at parts per trillion, at nanograms. Okay. And by the way, we want you to build that bridge between these two opposite I'm, I'm, sides I'm, I'm, of the galaxy. I'm collecting
0: zeros in my mind, actually. Right. Okay, I see that. That's see a the, lot of zeros. I, I okay? see the,
1: the problem. So that's, that's what people basically demanded us to do. Yeah. And rightly so. Okay, I'm not saying it was a tall order, but it was a, right, a fair order. Okay? Because you can't survive, you know, you can't keep, you know, the, 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 the profitability or the competitiveness of a tree without producing billions of units. You know, you can't just produce you know, a few hundred million even. It, it doesn't work like that. So we have to continue to produce that. But we have to build that bridge fast enough
0: and in a solid manner that those two worlds could be connected. And then you have to change the perception of the market, which is On top kind of, of your job.
1: <laughs> On top of that. So, How do you do that? Uh, I, I think with reliable, timely, Um, concise information as much as where where that is possible. That's the only way. Mm -hmm. It's to show people, listen, this is where we're heading to. Come along and check for yourself whether we are heading or not in that direction that we are saying we are. And I think when you do that, it takes time. Mm -hmm. Because we, we knew what we were doing internally. We knew what the results were going to be. But between that and you, Diego, open a bottle of wine in whatever city in this world. Um, and not having a big chance of encountering TCA, that was a big a big order. There was a big road to to drive. So it was it was difficult because we knew we could get there, but the market wasn't seeing that. But, I mean, part of the problem is that a lot of these bottles are not open, you know, next week are, are open, you know, next decade. So there was always this big timeline that we had to cover. So, but but we did, and eventually the market began to to understand that okay, these things are heading in the right direction. While at the same time realizing that there was a problem curve for artificial stoppers that was going up, if not for anything, because more and more are being used, not less, so it's natural. So that problem curve for artificial stoppers was going up, while the curve for problems with cork was going down. And the intersection of those two curves happened, and when it did, sooner than a lot of people thought possible, but when it did, then it became clear that if cork was good enough for the best wines in the world, why would it be enough for your everyday Everyday life. Yeah. and at the end of the day, it was up to us to demonstrate, to prove that it could be, and and I think the numbers, the numbers today speak for themselves.
0: You uh, mentioned uh, the quote facts that we know today. What measures have been ta- taken? What facts are you talking about compared to the perception that is maybe still out there?
1: I think, well, first of all, let's not forget one thing: the first scientific paper, first time that science really understood and interpreted and explained what 246-trichloroanusole, TCA for short, um, was. Uh, it was a paper published by a tenured Swiss scientist in uh, in the 80s, uh, mid or late 80s. By 2000, we were inaugurating brand new factories designed from scratch to deal with, with that problem. You don't have many instances where industries go from uh, the lab to the drawing board that quickly. But, but we did, and you don't open a factory a factory in, in the year 2000 that it's the size of 11 football fields, because you made that decision in December 1999. <laughs> Obviously, it took years and years of planning, et cetera, et cetera. So very quickly, I think I think at Amarin we certainly re- responded to that. But you know, I said it was a very thorny issue to deal with. What had to be done? That bridge I was telling you about was a long. It Was not a bridge too long, as as a, a bridge too far, as I believe the the movie about about um, about the similar situations was uh, produced some years ago. But um, it was a long bridge, and how did we build that bridge upon science um, and the ability to explain very tough concepts? You you have you have to realize that. To deal with something that is measured in nanograms, you're always going to have two sets of, of, of solutions that need to work together. Preventive, preventative solutions, and, and curative detective. solutions. You,
0: curative or detecting?
1: Uh, you, you need you need actually, <laughs> okay, if you want to include that third angle there, then it's a triangle. But yes, prevention, cure, and detection. Because if you don't measure it, they teach you in school, if you cannot measure it, you cannot manage it. Well, gas chromatography gave us the ability to measure that in tiny, tiny little portion. Cut-off points today for quality control is half of a nanogram.
0: Are we talking about measuring in uh, the oak when it's still oak-shaped? We're or are talking, we talking about, about per, per cork everything, stopper? everything. To give you an idea, a champagne stopper
1: goes through 10 gas chromatography checkpoints. Each? Yes. Ten. Now, if you tell anyone in the pharmaceutical industry this, I mean, it, they, they're going to think you, you guys are mad because they use gas chromatography, um, but not to the extent that, that, that we do. You have to realize that one, the commercial value of a one gas chromatography analysis, it's over a hundred euros. Um, we do hundreds of those per day,
0: mm.
1: hundreds. So of course, it doesn't cost us that, but the value of what we... What we have put together, it's, it's enormous. There's a lot of hundreds of millions of euros that Amarin spent to, to defeat this problem. Was it worth it? Well, I think the answer has to be yes, considering the evolution of sales, the evolution of the perception of Cork itself. And, and then something interesting happened. The world started to worry about sustainability. And that is certainly something that, in addition to the, to the, the technical advances, that were absolutely fundamental. There's no point in having a very sustainable product if it doesn't work. So we had to get that under under wraps before we had to control that. Uh, but once we 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 did that, kind of fortunately timed itself with um, with uh, I think Al Gore got the, the Nobel and the and the Oscar around two thousand and eight, and that really changed changed perceptions. And many many years we talked about sustainability, people weren't that interested. Today is a different story. We have now uh, published uh, I think it was fourteen life cycle assessments. Since 2008, um, annual annual re- reports and sustainability reports, basically detailing where where we're heading, what 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 is happening, and where we are today. It's a completely different territory than most people thought possible ten years ago.
0: Coming from an entrepreneurial standpoint, um, how do you scale a cork business? Oh. Do you acquire other cork businesses? Do you use outsourcing? Is there are there oak trees in other countries? I mean, I'm aware okay. of something going on in China with a different kind of oak tree. I think maybe like, oh. it's not
1: the Quercus suber L. Um,
0: yeah. what's what's going on? Well, in the market? we
1: don't. We we until a couple of years ago, Amarin yep. never owned cork land. So it's
0: a small production, and then you No, we get, we
1: get our raw material from, and we still do, from thousands and thousands of, of property owners. Small property owners, medium-sized, large ah, okay, property okay, okay. owners. So these are the people that across the Western Mediterranean Basin um, are the, the owners of the cork land. So we have always bought our raw material from,
0: from, from suppliers like, like that. And we still do. I didn't um, know this. I, I thought it was, uh, no. I, I was wondering how big is the forest there? Traditionally, have. <laughs> cork companies would, do
1: not own cork forests. Okay. Okay. Um, so it's, of course, a tree that takes, as we discussed, decades and decades to, uh, to, to mature. So we can't just, you know, plant cork out and, and wait 43 years to start the business. It doesn't work like that.
0: That was the question I was thinking about. Right. How do you... okay, uh, okay, so good.
1: we need, we need to have the ability to buy, to buy the cork from yep. established, established forests, which of course exist. Uh, we are harvesting cork from trees that were planted 100, 150 years ago, mm. um, which is quite remarkable if you think of it. Um, but, but remember, we only harvest it every nine years minimum. So it's not like like vineyards where if you don't harvest them this year, they're not going to be available next year. That gives us some flexibility. But about two years ago, the Amarin actually started um, to to invest in, in cork. Today we have about... A, 50, uh, 58 million euros that have been invested in, in the acquisition of corkland, not because we're about to stop being an industrial company to become a forestal company, not at all, but because we believe that it is possible to, to do things a little bit different, a little bit better, and in the process, make sure that we keep that profitability for a native species that has been around for millions and millions of years as intact as possible. That's what we want, what we want to do. Again, when you talk about sustainability, it's not, it cannot be just about CO2. CO2 is important and we have great news to share with our customers. Every single time that we have done one of those um, life cycle assessments, the corks have a negative carbon footprint and also a negative carbon balance. So whether you want to have a minimalist approach and look just at the carbon retained by every single cork stopper, That can be as high as minus 3.5 grams per stopper. So if the world had half of that, Mm -hmm. we'll be in great shape (laughs) where we are. But on on the other hand, we also understand that even if we could, by some miracle, fix the CO two problem today, tomorrow the world would still wake up with a big sustainability issue. So we have to look at things like well paid agricultural jobs, of which. Uh, cork is probably the best-paid agricultural job. Harvesting cork can be as much as 160 euros a day, um, because it's a very it's a hard work. Mm. It happens in the summer, June, July, and August. So it gets very very hot in in the south of, of Europe, obviously, um, but it's also very very skilled because you are yielding a, an axe, a very sharp axe. You mm. don't want to damage that tree. For which you waited 43 years for it to mature. You don't want to do that, so you have to make sure that the person harvesting knows. Yeah, how I've to seen do.
0: some of the pictures. Uh, the German division—they showed me uh, some of the material that you produced uh, during the last years, like these really high-resolution slow-motion shots and stuff—and was uh, very interesting to see this. It's something I've never seen before. Uh, I. Actually, when I was studying at Geisenheim University, I, I gave a presentation about cork production. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, again and again, it's just super, super impressive to see this production chain and this value adding process going. You, you just don't think about it when you have a cork in your hand. People it's, don't realize what it takes to do yeah. quality cork today. What What's the product range of cork uh, that you present here at the fair?
1: We have products for all the different price points. We have products for steel wine, for sparkling wine, for, for spirits, and it's important to have a very uh, complete uh, portfolio of products. The idea that one size fits all, that one type of cork is good for everything, it does not make sense. I mean, we wish the world was that simple. Our, all our lives will be probably simpler, but the fact is, it, it isn't. Wine is a very, very complex ongoing chemical reactor, just like us, humans, same thing. So to think that, you know, um, whatever you, you, you eat, it, everybody else should eat the same, whatever you wear, everybody can wear the same, wherever you go, everybody should be going to the same place, does not make any sense. And it does not make any sense to do, I can do one type of a, a stopper, and this type of stopper is going to fit every conceivable Uh, varietal, every conceivable style of wine, every conceivable aging period for that wine, every conceivable wine region in the world. Of course, it's not like that. So we do have a very complete um, portfolio that can be used at every single price point that you can think of, Um, from entry-level wines to wines that you have to stay in bottle for decades and decades and decades we have the ability to cover all of that in addition as i mentioned to of course the sparkling which has a lot of the same the same demands in terms of its uh, increasing variety you know champagne today is not what it was 15 years ago uh, there's a lot of lot of tirage for example i mean the, the ability of, of um, enhancing that evolution even before it reaches the consumer that that champagne tirage stoppers bring to uh, to the table i think it's better understood than it was a few years ago for sure and that opens incredibly exciting new uh, new territories, and same for spirits and, and beer and cider, all of that. So it's really, really an encompassing approach that that reflects um, the needs of our of our
0: customers. When you walk around at the Amorim uh, stand, you see words like naturity, like expure. What does this mean? What does it stand for? What can people? Uh, those, those are what's behind brands. those brands, right? Yeah. Those are brands that reflect. Um, s-
1: the most sophisticated technological approach to the production of stoppers today. Remember I said a while ago that uh, a lot of times our job is to wrap technology around that unique cellular structure that nature gives us, but but it's very sophisticated technology. I mean, to bring, uh, for example, um, supercritical fluid technology to the 21st century, you know, imply we had to get out of Portugal and go and find the best people in the world that that do that and create something that it's truly of the 21st century. Um, so that what's Xpure is all is all about. Xpure, it's about the ability to use um, very, very complex supercritical fluid technology to extract any TCA that may be or not inside inside those granules. Naturity is thermal desorption. It's the application of the principle of thermal desorption on natural whole cork stoppers that can- uh, a <laughs> yeah. bit slower, a bit more precise. What are you talking about? Thermal desorption? Yeah, you know what thermal desorption is. I, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you <laughs> Give me- why I'm pretty sure you know what it is. Um, if you have to boil water at sea level, you're going to require a lot more energy than if you go up on top of a mountain. Yes. You know, uh, you're going to, re- you'll still be able to boil that water, but with a lot less energy, which means less energy means you're less interventionist, you're less aggressive in the treatment. Now, if you have granules, uh, it's basically broken up little pieces of cork that then you're going to reconstitute to create stoppers like like Expure, for example. But you can be very aggressive in that treatment. That's why you can use supercritical fluid technology, where very high pressure are used to extract. Just like you take caffeine out of coffee, for example, or some, um, some essences for the perfumery industry. It's the same principle, but we brought that, as I mentioned, to the twenty-first century. So we use, for example, uh, only ten percent of the CO two that it's necessary vis-à-vis previous technologies. Um, we can reduce the need for energy as much as seventy-five percent, seventy-five percent less energy necessary. Um, and crucially, we don't have to be too aggressive. So what goes into that reconstitution is is ninety-eight percent cork. But if i use the same type of technology in an a natural whole cork stopper carved as a single piece from the bark of the bottle i will be destroying that cork i'll be deforming that cork. Mm-hmm. okay so i have to be less so you basically
0: pressure cook it
1: uh kind of pressure cook it yeah okay. same principle so use it's a hundred percent natural product that it's used that, that goes through a hundred percent natural natural process so you talk about time we talk about uh, pressure. We're talking about temperature. We're talking about water. So yeah, things that are 100 percent natural, but you take advantage of that well-known um, aspect uh, that has a fancy scientific name that is called thermal dissolution. So, but yeah, you knew about that,
0: right? Uh, <laughs> not so much actually. So, and um, the thing is, one of one of the ideas I have about this podcast is when I don't underst- understand the concept, I think most listeners also no. don't know about it so much, and uh, yeah. I try to, to uh, get the explanation until I get it right, so my audience gets it right. Oh,
1: but like, absolutely. I'm not saying that you knew what thermal desorption the was. Know, I, I didn't know until I, they explained I, it to me. I, I knew, knew.
0: I know the concept. I didn't know the word for exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, 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 same
1: here. And, and what I'm saying is when you say you knew that, you knew that you don't need as much energy when you go up a mountain to boil yes. water. Uh, you know. So that's what thermal desorption, which is a fancy name for exactly that phenomenon. And uh, why do you use this technology? And what does it do to the cork? It extracts any TCA that may be in that natural cork
0: stopper without destroying the cork stopper. Ah, OK, I get the idea. We treat TCA like an aroma you would want to extract out of a fruit in case of uh, doing Expure, perfume. Yeah, but yeah. we don't want to have the TCA. We, we, we don't want the aroma. We want the thing we extracted it from, we, the cork. We we clean clean the cork.
1: It's both technologies, Naturity and Xpure, yeah. are all about extracting TCA from cork. Naturity, because it's less aggressive, yes. less interventionist, can be used in the natural whole cork stoppers. So this is a
0: curative system. It's a curative system. Okay, and do you generally use this on every cork, or only when you detect TCA? No, maturity is applied to all the corks
1: produced at, uh, within AMRIM, mm-hmm. and it has been so for uh, three years. Three years. Yeah. And and supercritical fluid technology, it's also applied to uh, the production of granulated, microgranulated cork stoppers that go to faster rotation wines, so interlevel wines not for the wines that are going to be in bottle for 10, 15, 20, or 30 years. For that, we need to use natural whole cork stoppers, and natural whole cork stoppers cannot be subjected to the same kind of very aggressive, very interventionist um, treatment that
0: the granules, uh, the micro granules are used. But in. that's more like the high end part of the market, right? That's the higher end part of the yeah. market. So yes. the, for the mass market, we can use
1: these. We can use the micro granulated yeah. and which, which we do, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Amarin is the largest producer in the world of micro granulated corks. Uh, we're also the largest producer of natural whole cork stoppers. So we understand both products very, very well. And we understand the interaction that each one of them has with wine. And we are able today, um, and now our, our scientists certainly are able to sit down with the clients and, and go through the implications of each one. See, the, the, the common um, knowledge more and more, not yet common, 100% common, but more and more, it, it is understood that cork, the choice of closure is the very last analogical decision that winemakers can take.
0: And that is a completely... Wait, let me wrap my head around it. The very last... ...analogical decision. You talk about chronologically last or in, in terms of production change? No, and we, we don't want it to be the very
1: chronologically <laughs> last decision. We yeah. want people to think about that yeah. much early on in the process than, than traditionally has been the case. Yes. And, and a lot of people already do that. A lot of people did that before. But in terms of the impact... The analogical impact of your closure choice—that understanding—we're
0: working very, very, very uh, so hard it's, to it's, make it's that happen. Actually, the the last action you can take to shape the style of wine when it comes to the glass. So, uh, when it comes to the wine in the glass. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I understand. So you treat the the cork not only as closure but as a decision about uh, how fast or intense the aging process will be, how long the uh, liability of the product with the taste. There are many aspects. Yeah. The okay. Okay. Now
1: I understand you what you're it, talking good. about. Okay. Yeah. Th- think of it. It's not a hundred percent accurate example, but I think we will help our our listeners have a bad idea. Okay. Imagine. Okay, you German. So you guys make great cars. Imagine you you design this wonderful, you know, V eight car, you know, with great noise and great performance and great aerodynamics and great interior, you know, great reliability, all of that. Okay, and then someone say, okay, what about the brakes? And someone at this whatever great German car manufacturer would say, oh, just throw whatever you have in there because you just needed to to stop. Well. No, you don't do that. You don't create a V8 engine and the car that goes with it and then think of the brakes as an afterthought. Mm. No, you need to bring that much earlier into the, into the thought process of the development of this great car, right? And more and more people are realizing that the closure choice is also something that needs to be brought
0: into the equation much earlier. I I like this concept a lot. I mean, I know winemaker who winemakers who think like this but I also know a lot who are like a cork is a cork is a cork like that's their approach and actually what you say and this makes sense is um, that the decision for the cork is actually the same type of decision uh, for like the filtration system you subject your wine to or not. And it's like this, that's the kind of thinking that should be applied to choosing the cork. Absolutely. And this opens up a very different field of um, possibility ranges that, that, yes, a cork is a cork, and a cork has a price so that is part of the game, but also the cork has a functionality that is not just sealing, but also shaping the wine. Right.
1: Just like brakes have to stop the car, yeah. but they also cannot heat too much or they cannot take too long to come So there's a lot of things coming into it. And, and cork is the same thing. Of course, the basic function is to keep the liquid inside a bottle. Yes, absolutely right. That cannot, <laughs> cannot uh, fail, but it's a lot more than that. And that's the, the kind of thinking that now we have the ability to discuss. Why? Because we spent 20 years or more discussing the negatives of cork. Yeah. Sometimes fairly so, sometimes not so fairly so. It doesn't matter. But that, that's what happened. Now, when you spend 20 years discussing the negatives of something, that's hardly a balanced debate if you're only discussing yeah, the negatives. But that's what happened. So now that we have defeated TCA and we're able to deliver quarks that have non-detectable TCA performance in it, now we're beginning to be able to discuss the positives of quark. Yeah. And that opens up entirely new and incredibly exciting possibilities. And I think that, that that that's pretty much what what is changing is the ability now to have that conversation about. Them. Uh, let me let me give you a very concrete example. You know, winemakers spend thousands of euros, uh, or, or even much more than that, buying barrels because it comes from a oak, right? Well, cork comes from a oak. So is there any Uh, interaction?
0: (laughs) Kind of an obvious thing, yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, but is there any interaction that happens or or not? So we need to, we know the answer for that, by the way. And the answer is yes, it may happen, not immediately, not after one year or two years, but after five or six or seven or 10, certainly there is some interaction there. Um, so we need to understand, we need to put science behind that. Uh, oxygen transfer rates, you know, what, what happens with the different types of cork, but but how much oxygen gets into that bottle from that cork? Where is that oxygen coming from? All of this. Now we have science behind that. And we have the ability to discuss it. But the, the positives of cork, it's something relatively recent in terms of the of the discussion. And it's of course very, very exciting because talking about the positives of anything, it's it's more interesting than talking about the negatives, I found. And the positive of cork, we just in a lot of ways sometimes it feels that we are we have just scratched the surface, you yeah. know. Yeah,
0: you um, you actually fuel and like a vague idea I had. Uh, I like the energy you bring to the table about this topic because I approached um, the German division, and I, I kind of intuited this um, this uh, problem how we think about COG. And I, I I told them I think we need kind of a guideline, a handbook. Which type of wine do you want to produce, and which type of cork do you need for that? I don't think this knowledge is fa- spread far into the wine production sector. Uh, sector. I, I mean, I, I don't. I don't know no, how it no, is no. in he's different put, countries, he's but he's in put Germany, On, put on Diego, uh,
1: yeah. we, we we cannot imagine. I, I mean, we've known for hundreds of years that and Lavoisier discussed that a long time ago, that yep. any given ongoing chemical reaction, if you change the amount of oxygen that it's fed into that reaction, is going to shape the, out, the outcome of that yep. chemical reaction, right? So wine, just like us, again, just like humans, if I give you too much oxygen or too little oxygen, it's not going to, either of them is not going to be good for you. Yep. <laughs> so you want to have the right amount. So when you look at oxygen transfer rates, for example, in closures, there is, there is a spectrum that goes from nothing to too much, okay? So you have screw caps on one end, you have plastic on the other end, and then you can put cork right in that, what, it, what, it, what the English call that the Goldilocks zone, you know, that, that happy medium in there that allows, when wine reaches that greatness that we all recognize when we are in front of it, what was the role of that cork? Did it have a role? Are we dreaming a, about it? It's a it? tough question, actually. So, it's, it's tough it's a simple question the, the problem is the answer, not the question <laughs> it's always the answers that are more difficult than the questions. but seriously though I mean we need we needed to put science behind that. We all you know heard the expression oh with cork wine breeds okay but what does that mean? does it breed like a scuba diver? does it breed like a, like a snorkeling thing? Uh, we didn't know now we know and by the way it does it does... Uh, breathe like a scuba diver. It carries its own amount of oxygen into the bottle. There's no interaction of liquids or gas between the inside of the bottle and the outside of the cork. So in a lot of ways, the the guys from research and development don't really like when I say this, but I think more and more, we're probably going to end up at the point where we look at cork not as a closure, but as one of the world's most sophisticated valves that it's out there. I mean, not in the sense that it, it has a two-way street, but in the sense that how it modulates mm. or it can modulate that, that wine evolution. It's quite, quite fascinating. Cool.
0: I, I totally like this, uh, trajectory that we are taking here. Um, I know we are a bit uh, short on time. Uh, you need to leave uh, very soon. Back you head back to Portugal? Or? Not yet. <laughs> not, not yet. Okay. And, um, I think I will, uh, I will, uh, take a deep dive into this topic because, uh, Actually, to me, today is the first time that I really understand that you can treat cork as a in a logical uh, device, not just as a closure. But like I, I uh, it's obvious when you when when it's explained to you. But uh, sometimes it's also necessary that the obvious gets explained to you. And I think um, there's a lot of uh, value to be found in this uh, in this exploration of different Absolutely. types of cork different Absolutely. maybe also ages of cork Absolutely. different uh, and um, i think it's an interesting thing to explore i'm i'm anyway planning a, a trip to portugal and i think this might be a very very interesting uh, topic for that
1: i, uh, I think it will be will be interesting you know yeah. our newsletter is called bark to bottle um, because that's really how we look at at every. It, it yeah. goes from bark all the way to all the way to the bottle, with the difference that it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop. You see, spirits when they go to the bottle, they they reach they peak condition. Wine when it gets to the bottle, often is just beginning that that long journey. Yeah, and 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 cork and and glass and wine. I mean, they have been together for so long that. That it's not just because of tradition, Yeah, it's because it really makes a lot of sense when you look into it. Uh,
0: and they are uh, married and they should stay married, right?
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a <laughs> throuple, I believe that's, the, <laughs> that's uh, the English expression for that. But um, I, I, think, I, I think they're in a happy relationship, as difficult as it, I'm sure it is to, I don't know, but I'm... Can imagine um, that it has not been easy over over the hundreds of years. But at the end of the day, you know what? Even the harshest critic of cork in the world fell in love with wine, opening a bottle that had a cork stopper in it. We need to understand why, and we need to have the science behind this, so we can go back to that person and explain why he or she fell in love with that. What happened? Uh, and I think at the end of the day, um, we, th- there are very solid, very compelling, and even very scientific, not just sustainability reasons, but also scientific reasons why, why what we unanimously consider some of the best wines in the world were, were stored for a long, long time inside that bottle that was closed with the cork. I think we need, uh, we bring something onto the wine. We, we are not... Uh, the 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 lead actor on this um, film, not for sure, but I think we bring an important aspect to it, and we need all of us collectively to better understand that, so we can bake even uh, help our clients make even better wines than they make. That if we have a role to play, then yeah, we should be able. We have the responsibility of knowing what that role is from a scientific point of view, and that's where we're investing a lot a lot of money. To defeat TCA costs a lot of money, but in a lot of ways, that was just the beginning. Yeah. Uh, in terms of research, development, and innovation, the, the best is yet to come, no doubt about it.
0: And since the wine growers had to invent wine for us to produce cork, <laughs> let's say thanks. And also uh, thanks to you. It was super interesting. Uh, Thank you. Like uh, Sometimes uh, like doors open to subjects that you are kind of blind to because uh, there can, there's so much... Uh, like of, of nerdiness that can be found in this topic, <laughs> positive nerdiness. And uh, this is something that uh, goes through the wine sector. If you look at a winemaker deciding for which barrel to buy, I mean, like there's so much nerdiness going on about the wood structure and the toasting and blah. And, like, this can also be applied to the closure system. And uh, I think- yeah. and, and don't forget one thing, and all of that coming from a tree that you never cut down.
1: It's a tree that lives for 200, 250 years and you just harvest, you never cut down. Yeah. It's, a, it's an, it's an incredible sustainability story, but it's, it's also an incredible scientific story. It, it's, it's an incredible history lesson. I mean, really, when you bring cork and wine together, there's so much into it.
0: It's also the question for the, for the winemaker. Um, I mean, most winemakers, they come from um, agricultural families, so they know the value of un- on-passing generations on the same plot of land. And I think it is a question, who do you want to have at the other side of the production chain? Plastics or that?
1: Do you know what you just ask is, what do you prefer to have between your mouth and your wine? An oil-derived plastic stopper or a natural cork? And I think we all know the answer to that. Uh, and that's why you never found one single study out there that demonstrates that people prefer artificial stoppers. People don't prefer artificial anything to, arti- to, to natural options. I mean, not that I can think of any examples. And I think that's what we need, we need to do. We need to make sure that cork um, has a future as bright as its past. Thanks for your time. Thank you.